I solve that reform. When I will retire, I say, if I will write the book, it will be about this reform that I saw, the political reform, and then at the same time, it was the development and it was the standard of living, the infrastructure they built. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. And my guest today is one of my favorite ladies in the world. I uh, love her, I respect her, I appreciate her. We've had fun together and uh, she has always been very supportive of everything that I'm doing. She is a prominent and highly respected business professional. Elena Danu is the vice president of Top Kinesis Travel, which is the largest tour operator in Cyprus. She is many, many more things. She is a member of the board of Invest Cyprus. She is the former president of the Cyprus uh, Federation of Business and Professional Women, the Cyprus European Ambassador of Women Entrepreneurs, and a recipient of the prestigious Madame Figaro Business Women of the Year Award in 2012. She is a lot of things. I'm reading it because I couldn't keep it all in my head. And she is the president of the Phoenicians' Roots by the Council of Europe. Elena Tan, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest. And just, just tell me a little bit about this Phoenicians' Root. What is this? First of all, I want to thank you for this invitation, my dearest Elizabeth. The feelings are mutual. Yes, we love each other because I think we think alike. You're Swiss, but I have studied in Switzerland. So that really connects us very, very well because we work like a clock, a Swiss clock, <laughs> which uh, that says a lot. Yes. Thank you for reading out my profile. I do a lot because I enjoy doing all this. And I think if uh, you really are um, establishing your work, which is my work is my hobby and my hobby is my work, then you can give back to the society. Therefore, that's where our roads meet as well. And that was Rotary where we worked uh, for so long together. But coming to the Phoenician's route, yes, it's an appointment that um, I started actually last uh, uh, November. It was a very, very honorable um, appointment by the Council of Europe where it has 20 routes, but the Phoenician's routes connect Cyprus very, very well. And I was the first uh, Cypriot president to be appointed. Therefore, it's even more prestigious to manage to establish this route in uh, Cyprus, but beyond as well, connecting uh, this route with uh, many, many excursions that connects this civilization, 7th century BC, they started in uh, the area of Lebanon, Syria, then they moved down to Cyprus, and Cyprus, Kition, was the first harbor where they arrived, and they came in peace. They were not captors. The Phoenicians, they were really advanced for their time, where they had their first alphabet, they have uh, developed the first coinage they cut coins here at Ivalion, in that kingdom. They were very, very excellent navigators and traders. So we have lots of artifacts in our museums from the Phoenicians' time, but they're even in the Metropolitan Museum and so many other museums in the world. So my job as the president now is to establish special excursions, which already as top genesis we do, and we 
facilitate these excursions all over the world to travelers to come and visit Cyprus and beyond the rest of the countries. And thus is Israel, it's Italy, Spain, and so on. So I look forward to this appointment to really put my own mark and my own identity and to promote, of course, Cyprus at its length with connected with the Phoenician's route. That's beautiful. And yes, we are going to promote Cyprus. I promote, I love promoting Cyprus. Cyprus is my island in the sun. It's my second home. And because you said that you studied in Switzerland and uh, that's why we have a lot in common. I didn't study in Cyprus, but I kind of, I came here the first time when I was 21 and a half. I sometimes feel like I grew up in Cyprus. I didn't grow up like a child, but I developed my personality in Cyprus. And I want to talk to you about these years because I came to Cyprus the first time in 1982 and uh, the 80s, I have such fond memories of the 80s. Tourism in Cyprus in the 80s was beautiful. People were so pure and this famous Cyprus hospitality, which still exists. I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist anymore, but, you know, modern times have are changing. But those years, what is your fondest memories of the 80s? Tell me a little bit about your 80s. Okay. 1982-83, I was in Switzerland. I was studying travel and tourism management. Yes, I had the fondest memory because apart from studying tourism, I had the opportunity to travel extensively because of my father's job. So I was traveling with my parents and I was traveling to faraway destinations that they were amazing. And as you said, so unique at the time because they were really uh, pure uh, citizens wherever you were uh, arriving. There was no infrastructure in many, many countries and also um, no development. So it was just authentic and pure and it was just the reality of um, what was uh, their customs, their ethics, everything was so untouched. So I, I lived that, um, I would say, all over the world, from Africa to Latin America, Alaska, China, all these places. I arrived in China, 1983. So you will understand that it was a close country. I was in Hong Kong, and then with the train, we reached to uh, Guangzhou at the time and then further to Beijing. And those days, they were just um, rice uh, fields, They were the peasants uh, cultivating the rice. They were only bicycles. The kids, they were in the uh, fields and the women, and of course uh, the regime there was so strict at the time, were the only car, which was a government car, moving in that area because we were going to visit a factory with electrical appliances that they were manufacturing at the time. So it was so, so primitive. And of course, it was also an eye-opener at the time because of the regime. And what I, I saw many countries like that, and I can talk to you about South Africa and the regime at the time with the apartheid. I can speak to you about uh, Vietnam and all these places that I saw at a very, very primitive stage. But then again, I can talk to you how they developed. And I feel very, very lucky because I saw all that reform. When I will retire, I say, if I will write the book, it will be about this reform that I saw, the political reform. And then at the same time, it was the development and it was the standard of living, the infrastructure they built. Because if I see today Shanghai and Beijing, they're 
I mean, uh, amazing cities, and you could compare them even better than Manhattan and the rest developed uh, cities because uh, they started these cities from scratch. So um, those years, they're nostalgic, I would say. The 80s, for me, if I think back, they were nostalgic uh, years, but I lived the romance, I would say, and that starts probably from the nostalgic and uh, romantic trips on cruise ships, where today they are floating cities, but then again, that's the efficiency-oriented, um, uh, let's say, modern way of people traveling. And uh, in our days, in 80s, probably there were, there were a few traveling, but today the mass is traveling. So if I can elaborate even further, at the time I was um, working after 1983 for six years, I worked in UK in a travel agency, in a tour operator company. And I learned a lot because at the university, uh, you grasp, let's say, the academic part. And, but the practical part was the UK and the British citizens that uh, really were a big university to me. They knew very, very well how to travel. Uh, they, they knew exactly, and they were studying before they were deciding where to go. So while the rest of the world was not so well traveled, but the British were. So uh, that made me um, really study the destinations that I was selling. And I was selling only what I knew best and what I visited. So I was very fortunate, let's say, to have funds at the end traveling with me because I knew very, very well what to sell to them. And of course, I was starting also with Cyprus that I knew very, very, very well. And then Greece, the Greek islands and Greece mainland that it was really, even at the 80s, a unique destination. Beautiful. I am totally with you when it comes to development because I, I was traveling all over the world as well in the 80s. I always used to come back to Cyprus in the summer, but I used to go to another destination in the winter. And I was in the Maldives in the, in the winter, 80, I think 84, 85. And I talked about it in one of my podcasts. When I look at the Maldives today, you know, with all those speedboats and desalination plants and everything is so modern. When I was there, I mean, there was, we had showers with semi-salt water and we had only, there was no speedboat. It was a treat to get the speedboat once in a while when there was an emergency. And um, another thing that I also talk about in my podcasts is we only had a telex. We didn't have anything. Can you imagine how it would be like today with all the technology that we have? I remember I was, I, I'm saying these stories. I remember receiving telexes depending on where I was and our local agents would read them to me. And in some places they had such a bad accent. I couldn't understand anything that they were reading to me. Do you remember telexes, Elena? Of course. I, it was at the time as well. It was at the very beginning of my career and then it was the, uh, the fax, fax machine. Yes. The fax machine. But yes, the development today is amazing. I have many funny stories with groups that um, because of the development and all this tech, when we arrive today at airports or at hotels, we have funny stories because some older people with the, this the technology, they are not so familiar. And I can tell you a funny story. When I arrived in one of the um, uh, hotels in Germany, which was eco-friendly and high tech, uh, that was in Dresden, 
a few years back. And this was a, a group of um, retired Greek literature teachers. And um, uh, they all went to their rooms. They came back and I said, did you enjoy your shower to some amazing rooms? Uh, they said, Elena, it was okay, but we couldn't open the tub. It was so complicated, all the technology to, to just have a shower. So we used a cup to have a shower. <laughs> I said, we need to send, I mean, the stuff up to help you. So all this technology with even smaller things, yes. People today are acquainted, uh, the youngsters, of course, the ones that they lead the, the way. But um, I think, yes, uh, it's good that we have this transitional period that um, we love today of what we were doing then. But I think that was more careless life at the time. Now, having all this uh, at your uh, fingertips, Keep, I mean, the uh, smartphone where you have all your emails uh, in a second. Uh, you see issues, you see problems that you need to solve. And within a second, you have to really react. And the other people in the other, uh, at the other country, they expect you to react in an hour or so. So uh, it's not an easy life, although um, we enjoy it that we can do more. And I'm kind of person that I like to uh, deal with many things at the time and I'm a multitasking person but yet again you have to really discipline yourself to be really alert and be there when your clients are there when you are there to really enjoy it and to really grasp whether the destination or the issue you're uh, tackling Okay, there is not, there wasn't, and it will not be the perfect, I think, time. It's just that we live the moment. We live the time and we enjoy what we have um, uh, within us. And um, for us, we take advantage of whatever we have. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I think all those times that, uh, you know, things were slower. I mean, what you said it, today People expect us to reply immediately. You know, in, in the old days, Friday evening was Friday evening and then Monday morning people started again and anything, nothing happened in between. Now somebody sends you a message at uh, 11 o'clock on Friday and they are surprised if you haven't answered on Saturday morning. So this is, that's the difficult part of the modern times and in the old days. I remember making phone calls on the bus because I didn't want to make the phone calls in the hotel. And no, what I was saying, I had to make phone calls in the hotel room, you know, like spend an hour or an hour and a half reconfirming stuff, which now I could do on the bus where I'm sitting anyway. So because I know that you still accompany round trips, don't you? Correct. Yes, some very, very special groups that we started together. I mean, 30, my career is now 37 years in the travel industry. When I arrived in Cyprus after my career in the UK, I was really, really lucky. And I thank always uh, Mr. Andreas, your UN Universal Life Insurance, that um, at the time he uh, hired me to take his 100 best insurance brokers to South Africa. He asked me, what would be the best destination to take them? And I said, South Africa for safari and Victoria Falls for the falls. And he said, are you really serious? Because there is an issue there with the apartheid and whatever. I said, with me, you will be absolutely uh, safe and you will see the country like nobody else. And you will be the first to arrive there as an incentive group and as a, uh, an insurance company. So he said to me, look, you're 25 years old. 
I will entrust you. You will either build your career or you will destroy it even before it starts. So he said to me, I'm going to take this um, uh, trip with you. You need to come with me. And I will come also with this group to make sure that everything is okay. And I watch you. And I remember he was watching me all the time for 14 days. And, you know, in those days, the trips, they were not just for seven days or five days. They were 14 days or 21 days. So we started this amazing trip, the 100 best insurance brokers. We had such a fun. It was so wonderful. It was like a dream holiday. Everybody was, Elena, thank you. It's amazing. These experiences, this and that, and everything was immaculate. And it was just experiences. And Mr. Yorgi was really strict there, watching me all the time. He loosened out and he said, bravo, Elena, only when we arrived back in uh, the airport in Larnaca, because he thought something will go wrong, something will go wrong. And I was, of course, on my toes all the time. And I must tell you, even today, this company is still traveling with me after so many years, like many, many other groups, the Greek literature teachers that I told you, and many other incentive groups. But some of them, yes, they want me to travel with them. But, um, uh, so then we make sure that we are, I mean, a good company and we have fun as well. So I enjoy it a lot. And I mean, I can compare, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to go back to these memories. This Greek literature group where we went about 20, almost 20 years ago, on a classical tour to, to China. And then we were taking, you know, these trips and we went to Guilin and Xi'an and all these places with uh, flights and then all the procedure, the suitcases. And you remember in those days, they were traveling with lots of suitcases, not just the carrier not like now. And then only just before the COVID period, I traveled with another group, okay, a bank, to China, doing exactly the same trip. And we did it with the bullet train, okay? Going fast here, fast there. We didn't even have to touch the suitcases. They were going like uh, um, on their own. And it was so different. It was fast and we did everything. The 21 days trip, we did it within eight days, eight nights, something like that. So of course, I don't think you grasp everything the same way. And you don't understand the culture and everything in a short time. But still, you were there. And today, especially the youngsters, they say, okay, let's be there and we'll be back. Because you can access these destinations much easier than before. Yeah, I know. I sometimes read about people who have been, you know, they're, they're 30 years old and they've been to all the countries in the world. But, you know, how long have they been and how much did they experience? It's not the same. You know, I, I feel like sometimes it, it hurts me because I, you know, I had such a hard time and I had to fight. I remember in Tunisia, I was going through a bread price revolution and I had no gas and it was all these stories. I mean, it's easy. But um, yeah, and the length of trips, I mean, that is something it has become a fast world. But it was also in those days, air tickets were expensive. We didn't have any low-cost carriers. And like my longest trip that I did as a tour guide was a month. I did three weeks in Australia. And when we had enough people, sometimes we went, the tour guide went on with the group to New Zealand. So three weeks in Australia and a week in New Zealand are a long time if you have a client that you that is complicated and, and demanding. What is your worst memory of a client, a guest that came with you? Don't mention any names. <laughs> 
But did you have a bad experience or did you have, I mean, I think we all had people who did not agree with us at the beginning and usually we won them over and I'm sure you did too. But do you have a story there? Yes, I have. I have many, <laughs> but um, I must admit that although the, we start with some odd people, some, um, uh, I wouldn't say bad, but uh, probably they have their own uh, way of thinking and especially having all these intellectuals that they were going with me, they were, first of all, trying to judge me because I was very, very young, okay, of how I will react in difficult situations. So I was giving them this opportunity and when they were demanding or whatever, I was always very accommodating, very, very obliging, polite. And then you could see them that they were switching. And my story is the following. There was this... Um, very, very famous headmaster of a school in Nicosia, of a high school in Nicosia, where he wanted to come with my group to South Africa and with his wife and many of his colleagues, they were in the bus. So uh, he decided to sit at the back of the bus. And when the guide was talking, was speaking, and the guides always, whatever I select, they are the top, top quality, very knowledgeable land, whatever. This um, uh, headmaster was moaning from the very first minute that we started uh, the tour at the back of the bus. So I heard it once, twice, third time. So very distinctly, I went back. And I sat next to his. He was sitting on his own. His wife was at the front. <laughs> and then I go, sir, how do you find the tour so far? I mean, uh, we only started, but uh, any... And I started asking him, how do you find the guide? And I mean, as I said, a very int intellectual. He started telling me, yes, she said this, but this is so-and-so. And he was, he had an opinion about what the guide was saying. I said, it's amazing, all these things that you know. And you know what? What I want you is, when the guide is over and is finishing, I want you to share all this knowledge you, you have with us at the microphone, with the rest. Do you really mean that? Of course, I said, you have all this knowledge. And of course, he was very, very knowledgeable. And then, of course, it was very, very, I had to do it very tactfully to give him the microphone uh, because for all the rest, probably they didn't want to listen to him. So what I did, I went to the microphone when the guide was um, finishing. I said, we have some amazing additional knowledge that Mr. So-and-so will offer to us. And if you like it, probably he will be able to help us understand in a different perspective, the history of the country because he was a, um, a historian. Of course, he comes, he starts, he was amazing. He was amazing. He was putting over and above from what the guide said. And I must tell you, after 12 nights in South Africa, the whole tour, he was the best ever, the biggest moaner. He became the best fun. And he was saying, Elena, she's amazing. Elena, she's top. He was talking about, I mean, this tour, everybody and his friends and his wife at the end. Elena, thank you. You found his baton. He was a moaner because he didn't, as a teacher, he loved to talk. 
So the minute he had the microphone, he was waiting to hear what the guide would say. And then he was adding up all his over and above because he was very, very well uh, educated. So that was one story. But after that, I think through the experience and because I was very young and I'm a, a person that, as you know me, I can really be a good cushion, a good <laughs> I get all this and I find the button of each person that whatever they have to accommodate it and give them, let's say, in the best possible way, how they also have to have a good time. And this gentleman, he had a great time and he has been a client of mine for many, many years after and he was ex doing exactly that. And um, yes, I suppose... Um, each and every one of us, we need to, to find uh, the tune, the right, right tune to perform and be good. Several stories, but they were always with happy end, I must say. Yeah, that's beautiful. But, you know, I think it's because you like people. And when you like people, you find the right button. I mean, one of the reasons why I trained after after this to become a, a life coach was because I had all these people experience. You know exactly how to handle people. You know how people react. I have a very similar story, actually, with a gentleman. Because, I mean, that you gave that man importance. You made him feel important. He wanted that. He needed this. And he had knowledge. I mean, it, he was an addition. He was an asset. And uh, because I had, I remember the first time I went to India, I had never been to India before. And I was meeting my clients at Zurich airport and there was this elderly gentleman and he came to say hello. And he said to me that he was going to India for the fifth time. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to, I have to be careful because people were not supposed to notice that we were in somewhere the first time. And I really, really made an effort. I made him feel important, you know, similar to you. I always made sure that he was looked after. And I remember at the end, he said to me, because he had been to, once, he had been to India with a famous Swiss travel journalist. And he said to me at the end in Zurich, when we were back, you know, this Miss, whatever her name is, she's a good tour guide, but she is nothing compared to you. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. <laughs> You know, it's all about people, isn't it? It's about, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just humans have this need to be noticed and recognized. Yes, I feel exactly what you mentioned about um, giving importance to everybody. And I, I truly believe that each and every one has its individu individual uh, good aspects that we should, as being with people, we should recognize them and really uh, bring them up. Yeah. And especially at the tour that it's seven or 14 days, if you manage to do that, and I think I'm an expert on that now, and I start by introducing each other. Uh, first of all, for whatever group I have, whether they are 10 or 100, I will learn about their background. I, I need to know their background. And probably a lady that is probably not so important herself because, okay, she didn't do something very, very uh, successful in her life, but probably she has a son that is a very successful doctor, okay? What I will do, I will praise her when I'm doing this introduction the first day that we arrive at the hotel, okay? And instead of saying, I say how important she is and what a mother she has been, and she has raised up such a son who did all this and he's the best surgeon in the in the world, okay, whatever. So she really feels important. And then the first thing 
the rest will reach out to, to speak to her about his speciality. And then she will be open and she will feel important. And then each and every one, if they have knowledge and expertise, yes, I make the right questions, even if the rest will not make them. I make the right questions and I bring out the best of these people. So the rest are learning as well as themselves. They feel, yes, we know these things and we share. And I, I always say that the trips should be educational, should be entertaining, should be experiential, should be fun, should be, uh, I don't know, getting out of of our ordinary, getting out of, out of the box and sometimes of our comfort zone. And I'll tell you what I really enjoy during this COVID uh, period that we are locked uh, uh, in. Um, all these old people that they traveled with me in the past, and now they say probably they are 80, 85, and they've done amazing trips with me. They call me these days and they say, Elena, thank you, thank you, thank you because you managed to convince me to do rafting in Alaska. And now I'm seeing the photos, I'm uh, reading what I have um, uh, written down. And I'm 85 years old and I feel so, and so truly happy that I did it. And I discuss it with my grandchildren and they don't believe it. And if it wasn't for you to convince me to go on this uh, rafting boat, I wouldn't. I have another call. Elena, thank you for letting me having the experience of seeing the Iguazu Falls from the helicopter. And I have the photos now and I see them with my grandchildren. Or I went with them a Google under the falls of Iguazu Falls. All these experiences that people wouldn't dare to do on their own, having somebody to feel secure, to feel that, yes, I'm here for you. You get out of your comfort zone. And you dare, and you do it, and at the end you're so proud because, <laughs> and I think that goes um, uh, in all ages, whether you're a child, juvenile, uh, mature, or elderly. Isn't that amazing, though? It's about making people feel good. And it's about thinking back of those trips with a warm heart, you know, having this feeling of you had a good time. It's not about money. It's about feelings, I think. And, and this is what I always say, you know, at the end of our lives, we are not going to regret the things we, we did. We are going to regret the things we didn't do. And uh, when you can actually uh, motivate people to do something, like going on a helicopter, you know, it's not easy to get people on a helicopter and then they go. I remember the Iguazu or the Grand Canyon or place and then they come back. And this thing's stays with them for the rest of their lives. And when you say that people who are 85 now, why do you think I'm doing a podcast? Because I'm dying to travel, but I can't. So I'm talking about it. You know, it's it's just one way to, to keep the memories, bring that, back the memories. And um, time is flying, Elena. We are already uh, quite far in, but I my podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys. I want you to tell me what is your most memorable journey? Uh, there are many again, but uh, I think um, I go back to South Africa, where um, I visited the place uh, first time 1982. Uh, at that time, people, uh, the blacks were working on one pavement, yeah. the whites on the other, both um, 
they couldn't go in the same restaurant or on the train and uh, all that. And that uh, really marked my memory and my, let's say, inner self. Um, so I visited that place 30 times. I love South Africa. Yeah. I think it's uh, a place where the safari and the uh, jungle, the Kruger National Park, two million years is intact there. And you see that the animal life is so vivid and it's a great experience. Then you have Cape Town, one of the five most wonderful cities. I love Cape Town. Yeah, uh, And it's not me that I say it's the National Geographic. Number one is uh, Rio de Janeiro, Sydney, Cape Town, South, um, Vancouver, and I don't remember the fifth. There are five. So I go back to South Africa every time and I have now this beautiful feeling of the reform that changed and Mandela. And um, my memorable trip, it was when I visited South Africa at the uh, time when the three opera singers uh, oh. sang Mandela in front of their parliament. And that was the most memorable trip uh, in South Africa within the 30 times where I almost touched Mandela. And I feel if you are with uh, such a figure person that uh, really reformed uh, his country without bloodshed, it's, it's so much. And I, I feel really, really uh, lucky that... Um, through all my uh, travels, I meet important people in that perspective, that they do the changes for their countries. And uh, I mean, I visit all these museums and all these um, cultural events that they really uh, put my, my inner self in a different perspective, whether they are concerts, um, theater plays, um, a good uh, discussion, a good debate. Or, uh, I don't know, just the quiet and the calmness of a place like Urulu in uh, In the Red Centre, yes. Yes, and these people that you're talking about are people who lead by example, you know. Mandela led by example and, and, uh, and Gandhi led by example, you know. He, be the change you want to see in the world. Don't demand change, you know, be it. And, and uh, yeah... I was just choked. I wanted, you know, the fifth town that you were talking about, you know, after Sydney, Cape Town, Vancouver and Rio must be either Limassol or Lucerne. I remember it's San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Lucerne, <laughs> uh, I would say yes. yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. Limassol is equally beautiful. And uh, now with the um, development, uh, yes. It's I, turning I into little Manhattan. Yes, and uh, it's the cosmopolitan life. I mean, Cyprus, I think, combines so many things. The yes. uh, vicinity of the mountains, the uh, sea, and then the good uh, standard of living, the uh, flexibility that the people can offer you. I mean, anytime, anything, and they're very generous. That's a lot of things. But I, I should speak about Nicosia as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> And Nicosia has all this cultural part that really can provide. It's a different, uh, let's say, uh, approach for a, a small uh, weekend, for a short weekend uh, with the museums. Uh, we offer 51 places of interest in Nicosia, the center and the nearby galleries, museums and antiquities. So I believe whoever will visit Cyprus has so much to see 
And um, also it's um, a crossroad. Wherever you are, if you need visit Cyprus, you can visit so many other places that they can uh, really offer you. And going back to Limassol, now it's a hub for cruising. Royal Caribbean is starting soon. And then we have the access to the Greek islands and probably to uh, later on to Egypt and then to Israel. So why not? It's a hub for many, many things uh, if you visit Cyprus. Yeah, no, I love Cyprus. I have been here for so many years and I have come and gone and I, I've, I'm married here and I, I have a lot of respect for that for the island, for the people here, for its story. There is, I mean, it's a long story. We don't want to go into that. But um, I believe that Cyprus really offers everything. You can spend a holiday here and do so many different things, as you say, the mountains, the sea, the excursions. So, yeah, I have some favorite places. My very favorite place on the island of Cyprus is Chelefos Bridge. Yes. <laughs> it's just yes. you know, very, very beautiful. Listen, this is it. I think we could talk for hours. Maybe I'll need you again. Maybe if I do something special or if I go into some special tis, I don't think we've managed to say it all, but time is running out. So for today, I think uh, we're going to leave it at this. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending time with me. And uh, yeah, any last words? Yes, I want to thank you as well. But because you mentioned at the beginning in my profile about I'm um, sitting on the board of Invest Cyprus, something that combines with our discussion is that we have these digital nomads now that they can come to Cyprus and work from Cyprus since so many people now due to COVID, uh, they want to work uh, isolated and they can work online. So that's a great opportunity to really welcome your audience in Cyprus to work as digital nomads. We have these hubs developed in many, many cities of Cyprus where younger old people can come and uh, really work from these incubators and um, enjoy the beautiful weather, enjoy the sea, enjoy the mountains and the gastronomy, inno-gastronomy of Cyprus that um, it's at its best. Thank you again, Elizabeth, Moore, yeah. for this great, great hospitality. I enjoyed it a lot. And the good quality, just for the digital nomads, the very good quality of technology, because that's also because they work online and it's available. And I couldn't imagine a better place to go through COVID than Cyprus, because we've really... You know, we had the sun and we had the sea, so it's it's a good thing. Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. <laughs>